Pediatric Junkies. Welcome to another SNAP podcast. We're back today with Joseph Ranke, CEO and founder of Fitbucks, to discuss budgeting. As promised, these aren't going to be the budgeting tips that you've heard from previous episodes. Today, we're going to discuss how to look at your money a little bit differently, as well as how to make yourself more profitable. Let's jump into the conversation. So when we're talking about making payments, a couple of our listeners were talking about, you know, what are the benefits of making minimum monthly payments, or should you really push it to this is how much I can fit into my budget. So I'm going to put that much all the time on my loans. What's the better yeah. option? So there, there's really two different ways of going about this. So first and foremost, again, it depends. If you're doing a loan forgiveness plan, you want to pay as little as you can, first and foremost. If you're paying it off, then it's a matter of how much do I pay every single month, right? And we base everything as percentages. And we base it all off of gross income. Um, and this is how we make everything easy. So like in our new technology that we're testing, we call it step number one, where you're basically just putting your day-to-day expenses in your income, trying to get to a bottom level, like line of how much money do you have left over after like food and utilities. And then step two is actually looking at your actual financial plan. So how much money are you putting towards building assets like your investments and paying off debt, okay? Typically, for example, for a single person, we see that you can put about 30% of your gross income to some combination of building investments or paying off debt. So let's just say you want to be aggressive and pay off your loan. So you want to do 27% towards debt and 3% towards your 401k because you get some type of match, okay? So 27% of your income is going towards your loan. Whatever dollar amount that comes out to, that's what it is, right? So 27%, you know, times $100,000, you'd be paying $27,000 a year, divide that by 12, that's how much you pay towards your loans. Right. That makes life really easy because then as your income goes up, you know exactly how much you should be paying. But when you set up a plan that way, you don't have to stress because you know exactly how much is going to your, month, your loans every month. You know how much is going to your day-to-day expenses. But then after both of those, you know how much money you have left over, like $750 a month or $1,000 a month or whatever for vacation, whatever it is. And that leads to what we always say. You want your loans to complement your life, not dictate them. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So when you have that percentage set, as long as you're doing that percentage every month to your debt and you're doing that percentage to your investments and you're following your plan with your budget, for example, who cares if you go over a hundred dollars every month? You don't have to stress about it because you're following your plan. You know, if I execute this plan, I'm going to accomplish my goals, period. And so then you don't have to stress. You don't have to be so like anxiety. Am I doing the right thing? Like, you know, all these different things. You don't have to worry about that anymore. So that's one way to do that is month to month um, and do it that way. Another way to do it would be where you just try to save as much as you can. And then like every three or four months, you just look at your bank account and be like, okay, I got $20,000 in there. I, I had that's $10,000 more than I needed in my bank account. You just make one big payment to your loans. You just pay the minimum. And you just want mm-hmm. some flexibility that way. So that's another way to do it. But that way it's a lot harder to do it discipline-wise. So that's why we encourage the month-to-month level with the percentages because we see better success that way. Yeah, and I think it makes a lot of sense once you sit down and really write it out all out. Because you and I talked about my loans, which mm-hmm. kind of got us on this idea of doing a podcast with you. Um, and I don't think that I'd really sat down and thought, okay, I've thought about 
how much goes to groceries and things like that. But I hadn't ever thought about my student loans as a percentage. It had always been like whatever's left over. And it's so, you're so right in the sense that it's really hard for me to be disciplined when I look at it as whatever I can throw at them, I guess I will, as opposed to no, you're putting this percent of your income towards your loans every month, yep. which makes way more sense. Yep, exactly. We call it, you know, basically paying yourself first. And like the steps of doing it is you do your day-to-day expenses just so that way you can get to the next step two. And you want to put those minimums there, 30% going. And then if the leftover is negative, then you go back to your day-to-day expenses and say, what can I cut? And then if it's still negative, then you go back to, you know, how much am I putting towards investments and debt and start trimming from there. Whereas, like you said, most of the time people look at their day-to-day expenses first and then say, okay, well then let's, what's left over. And it's like, no, no, no. Like, Let's try to maximize what we're doing in what we call step two, maximize how much you're paying yourself first before having to pay somebody else for day-to-day expenses. So Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's so funny because it seems so much more manageable after we talked. My fiance is really into uh, Dave Ramsey yeah. and he's pretty intense in paying off things and he's not about having any debt and which is great. And I'm sure people who are super disciplined in that way can <laughs> handle that. But that just like, wasn't something for me. It seemed more so the philosophy tends to be, you have to pay off your debt at all costs. And I mean, like you said, not letting your debt dictate your life rather mm-hmm. like do it the other way around. Um, so I think it's great. I know that I'm sure either way, either philosophy works for different people. Um, but that one just wasn't great for me. So this yeah, seems a lot more manageable. <laughs> well, we have, we have a ton of people on our platform that love Dave Ramsey. And it's like, great. You know, that's the best thing about the technology. If you want to go gun home like that, you can still do that. And it's still going to track it to make sure you're doing it right. Fantastic. And if you want to follow his stuff to the T, fantastic. But what I've ended up seeing a lot of times is, is we have to see results right away. And the thing about paying off debt is it's going to be like two or three years. And even though that might seem like a fast time, it's still two or three years. So what ends up happening is because you're not seeing those gains, people stop doing it. Yeah. I mean? And that's what I see a lot of stuff with Dave Ramsey. People just get burned out after about a year. You know, you can only do what he calls gazelle like intensity for, you know, like physically, you can only do it for like a year or two. Trust me, I've done it. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, you, you, you burn out uh, very quickly. And so, you know, we see a lot of people that start down that route and they just stop. So that's so why it's like, okay, well, if you don't want to do that, you don't have to be the whole my way or the, the highway, like he says, there's other ways of doing it. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. That's so funny. So you talked about all of those formulas and it sounds like, I mean, obviously first we have to have our idea of what our budget is. What are all of our expenses? So do you have any advice on creating our budget? Like where should we start? What things should we be looking at? Just writing down your day-to-day expenses. That's first things first. And I always, like I said, even on step two, you're looking at the percentages. Even on step one, when you're just looking at expenses, look at the percentages as a percentage of your gross income. And I mentioned earlier, like focus on um, building your income instead of cutting expenses. You still want to potentially cut expenses because that, that's some low-hanging fruit. It's very easy to cut certain things. But oftentimes what I see when you look at a, somebody's budget, they're like, you know, should I should I go to Pete's instead of Starbucks for coffee? And it's like, mm-hmm. save a dollar. You look at your budget and it's like, look, that's like 0.01% of your budget. Whereas rent's like 10%. Like if you thought about getting roommates, like 
So when you're doing out your budget, the one big key there is don't look at the absolute numbers, look at the percentages, see where your money's going and say, what can I do there? And guess what? I guarantee you one of them is going to be taxes. So what can you do to reduce taxes? Like yeah. everybody, you know, jumps on, you know, Trump and how much, you know, or how little he paid in taxes is like, you know, you don't, don't realize 99% of the tax code tells you how to reduce your taxes. Like that's what he's doing. That's right. what a lot of people are doing that are making a lot of money. They're, they're reducing their taxes in legal ways that are in the tax code. So what legal ways can you reduce your taxes? So that way you end up with more cash to go into assets and debt. Like, so anyways, uh, I diverse on that topic, but that's the big <laughs> thing on, on, uh, on the budget part is look at the percentages instead of the absolute numbers. No, that's, that's a really good advice. How we have these dreams, we're going to graduate and we're going to start these lives and it's going to be really exciting, but we still kind of have this student debt looming over it us, I guess, how does that impact some of our big future purchases that you've already mentioned, like homes and cars? Yeah. So I'll start off with cars first, because this is the one that, there's one piece of advice, especially for students I can give, is statistically, like on average, like the new grads on our platform, they'll go out and buy like a new car or get in a car payment. That's like $450 a month as soon as they graduate. And it's like, that's like you know what like buy a cheaper car when you're beginning like i said keep it simple get these other things out of the way first like i know you're excited to get your your checks and all this type of stuff and you feel like you have a lot of money but then when you actually sit down and do the numbers every month you're like Mm -hmm. if you go out and do that you're going to get stuck in this rat race for a long time um so think about the car first and i say that especially for people on income driven repayment plans so statistically, based on our data, I, I said like the average like, is like $400 to $450. Statistically, people on income during repayment plans, their average on our platform for car debt is like $550 or $600 a month, right? And then statistically, they also have at least one other form of debt, so like credit cards or a mortgage. So it's like you, you already have a ton of risk in your profile because of this tax and everything for income during repayment plans, right. but now you're adding in all this other debt. And it's like, slow down, like get some savings first before piling on the debt. And that's why a lot of people, you know, in the, in the election process, you know, everybody's talking about loan forgiveness and all this other stuff. And I'm like, you know, one reason why to me, loan forgiveness doesn't matter. Like just blanket loan forgiveness is because I know the statistics, 65 to 70%, if it's not student loan debt that they're in, they're going to go get other debt and they're going to end up in the same situation anyways, because no one's curing the actual problem like like they're just getting debt and so the first thing that you should think about is that car debt um homes this is the other place where you really have to look at what type of loan you're going on because like i said earlier a lot of times people are going on an income driven repayment plan they want to do that because they're trying to save for down payment on a house but the problem is is the way they actually look at the monthly payment on the income driven repayment plan and how they factor in if you qualify for a house or not. Okay. So they oftentimes, I won't get too much details on it, but it can really mess up your DTI ratios because sometimes they don't take what your monthly payment is on your student loan. So I'll give you an example. Like if you have $180,000 in student loan debt and your monthly payment is like $300 because you're on an income driven repayment plan, they don't use the $300 as your monthly payment to qualify you on your mortgage. Some of the mortgages, they'll take 1% of your balance every month and use that as a hypothetical. So it will make it look like you're paying $1,800 a month on your loan. 
-hmm. The reason why that's important is because the higher your student loan debt is or the higher your car payment is, the less house you can qualify for in terms of a mortgage. Because you only have so much what they call debt to income ratio that you can use. And the more you have on these other things, the less you qualify for a mortgage. So it's not always cut and dry, like, I'm just going to go on an income earning payment plan so I can qualify for a house. Mm -hmm. Maybe not. That's also like we talked about refinancing a lot today too. I know a lot of you guys might want to pay off your loans in five or 10 years. Doesn't necessarily mean that you go into a five or 10 year loan when you refinance. Maybe you go into a 20 year because you don't, it doesn't cost you that much, but it drops your required payment, which if you want to buy a house, it's going to make it a lot easier to buy a house. So those are the things that you really have to think about, um, you know, cars, like what we could do to your debt and whatnot, but homes too, how it all ties together, like we were talking about earlier, how you have to tie all this stuff together, you know, going on loan forgiveness plans, yeah, you might be able to save for down payment quicker, but it might really mess up your DTI ratios. And others of you, like if you're married and you have dual incomes, it might not even play into a role because you have so much extra income, it doesn't even matter at that point. Um, so again, it's one of those things where every situation is a little different, but these are the things that you just have to start thinking about early so that way, five years down the road, you know, you get there and you're like, I'm ready to buy a house. And like, no, you're not. And you're like, why? And they're like, well, you don't qualify. And here's why. And now you're stuck with your hands tied behind your back because you literally can't do anything at that point. You're stuck. Right. Right? So that's what you're trying to get away from is don't be stuck. Bottom line is less debt you have, the more options you will have down the road. Okay. So when we have student loans, we talked about kind of paying them off. And I know what my plan was be, would be, but somebody asked me the other day, you know, should I be allocating money to my student loans and not at all to retirement? Should it be equal? Should one be more than the other? Is there like a broad answer for you? There, there is. And so first of all, there's always statistics. Um, like we haven't put this one out there yet. It's actually part of like phase two or phase three of our technology where we're actually going to say, here's a recommended percentages. Like when I tell you step two, like mm-hmm. here's how much to go to student loans. Here's how much to debt. Here's how much to auto loans, like whatever it is. Like we're actually going to have like, Hey, you can build your plan and do the percentages, but here's what based on statistics, the recommended ones are. Yeah. Uh, so there's always statistics and people would be surprised at what some of those statistics say in terms of savings. The general one is, we have what we typically recommend if you're paying off your loans, like the general recommendation, and then we have statistical recommendations. But in general, if you're trying to pay off your loans aggressively, at a minimum, we recommend getting your match from your employer because it's basically 100% return on your money. Like, make sure you're maximizing that 401k to get that, that return. You're never going to beat those returns. After that, if you really want to just keep it simple, the rest of it, throw your loans. Like if that's your one goal, unless you're trying to save for a house or something, but if you don't have those other goals, just why not get rid of your student loans and focus on it. You're going to pay it off really quick. Um, now that's like the general way. Sometimes we get people on both of those extremes that say, I don't care about anything. It's about paying off my debt. Fantastic. Pay it off. Like use hundred percent of it to pay it off if you want to. Then we get other people that say, look, I, I kind of just want to have a good strategy and save a decent amount. I don't care about buying a house. I just want to save a decent amount to be on a good projection. And I also want to pay off my loans in, in a decent time, like 10 years or less. What can I do? So on that, we might do like something like 10% going towards like retirement accounts and then 20% towards debt. Uh, just because statistically, when you're around 28 to 30 years old, if you start saving right around 10%, statistically, you should be on a good path towards any retirement and be able to cover your expenses in retirement. 
Um, so those are kind of the generalities and it depends who we're talking to. If somebody really wants to have some savings, that's what we do, 10 and 20. That's where we start. And somebody just says, look, I want to do the smartest thing, like, and keep it simple. We say, okay, get your match and then put the rest towards your loans. And then somebody wants to get really, really sophisticated, then we go really deep into it. But most people's not worth <laughs> going that deep into it. But yeah, that's typically what the, the general, like, if you're just trying to keep it simple, that's typically what we're looking at. Right. And that makes sense. And obviously, anytime you have very specific goals, it's good to talk to somebody about, you know, how do you optimize that and really make sure you're on the right course. Because, I mean, there's no way that you can speak to everybody who's going to listen to this and it's going to be the exact right plan. But you can give them a little bit of an idea just by these statistics, exactly like what you're saying. Well, it's it's actually funny because my thing is always the new grass. Keep it simple you've got so much going on in your life. You just graduated, you're getting a job. A lot of you are moving to your new job. Like you don't even like, this is the first time for a lot of people making income and having budgets and paying taxes. First time paying out debt, first time retire, like doing retirement. Some of you are getting married. Some of you are having kids. Some are buying a house. You're buying a car. Like you've got a lot of shit going on. <laughs> it's like, keep it simple, right? right? And a lot of times like people are like, I want to come in and do the most efficient thing. I'm like, and so what I'll do is I'll just start being like, okay, well, you actually want to do this much to your Roth and this much to your 401k. And by the way, because of the tax law, and it's like, okay, yeah, I want to keep it simple. It's like, yeah, like start off with simple. Once you've got simple down, okay, then you can get more complicated if you want to. But once you have simple down, a lot of you will never have to change that. You can keep it simple and you'll be perfectly fine the rest of your life. So start there first and then get more sophisticated if you want to. That doesn't shock me. We tend to be a lot of type A people I've noticed that come out of PT <laughs> school. Like we're very efficient and there's a certain way to do things and we just want to know what that way is. <laughs> yeah, well, that was my shock. That was my lesson my dad taught me. I was like, you know, coming from the investment world, I'm just like, this, this statistically makes the most sense. Like, why would you not do this? So like my dad made most of his money. He owned a business, put it in the bank, earned interest. When he had enough money, he bought a piece of real estate and, you know, rented it and, that's how he made his money. He never really went in the stock market. He hated the stock market. Well, I was trained on the stock market. Like, you know, I was like, what is this thing called the stock market? I taught myself and I went to school for it and got, you know, the postdoctoral stuff. You know, anyways, when I graduated, I went to him. I was like, dad, check this out. Like, if you would have done the stock market and put all that money into that instead of buying those houses, you would have like $11 million more than what you have now. <laughs> He's like, first of all, I don't need more money. Second of all, I don't know anything about the stock market. Right. I, I would have lost. Like, I don't put my money in the bank and buy real estate and collect rent. And guess what? It worked for me. Right? Exactly. Like, you don't have to make it overcomplicated. So keep yeah. it simple. <laughs> keep it simple, stupid. That's the same, right? <laughs> <laughs> yep. The KISS method. <laughs> so, so what, if there were some things that we, you felt that students come to you and they just don't really know a lot about, what kind of financial literacy topics should we really be aware of coming out of school? Keeping it simple. Um, so, you know, I'll share this with you in our, in our workshops that we do online and at some of the universities, we break it down into the two formulas. You guys have heard me say this already on this podcast a couple of times I've alluded to it, but then frame it like this. I said, like maybe like step one or step two, whatever it is, it's two formulas. First one is income minus expenses equals remaining cash, which is basically your budget. And step two is uh, assets minus debt equals net worth. Basically, just knowing those formulas, you could basically do anything you want to with money. Like if you're buying a house, whatever, you could plug in the numbers and see what it does. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then that's, that's the first phase to remember. The second phase is to remember that that formula one happens today because you, you have your income and your expenses today. Step two, assets and debt happen over time. And so risk management, which is things like life insurance and disability insurance, how we have our money invested, uh, different stocks and stuff, that's called risk management. That's all there to bridge that gap between Formula 1 and Formula 2, just in case, for example, you get disabled and you can't be a PT anymore. Well, guess what? You still want to do step two. You just don't have any income anymore. And you mm-hmm. still have expenses. So that's where disability insurance comes in as a plug in that gap. So just to summarize that again, it's, it's income minus expenses equals remaining cash, assets minus debt equals network. Those are the two big formulas to understand. And then one happens today, the other one's happened over time. So you bridge that gap in case something happens with risk management, different insurance products and whatnot. That's awesome. We talked kind of about, you know, like talking to a financial advisor or calling you guys up. What are the benefits of that? Um, and what can they offer you as far as like what they should be talking to you about? What questions kind of should you be asking? Mm-hmm. Well, I'll talk about financial advisors and that's a little bit different because it's, okay. we're set up a little bit different way. So advisors will, you got to understand how people get paid, right? So advisors get paid uh, in one of three ways. They will get paid by managing money. So as a percentage of your assets that you have invested with them, so like, even if you have a 401k, they can't get paid on that. So they're not going to help you. So unless you have like $250,000 or a half a million dollars in investable assets with them, you're probably not going to get very good advice because that's all they, they talk about. Okay. Even if you have like 10 grand, they're going to put you in some cookie cutter thing just because it's, they don't get paid. They might get paid 1%. So right. if you have a $10,000 account, yeah, they may they get paid a hundred dollars and they can only help like a hundred people a year. So what are they going to do? Make $10,000 a year? No, they're not going to help you. Okay. Right. Um, the other way they can get paid is through insurance. So a lot of times, like you go talk to a financial advisor and I see this constantly. This is the biggest, one of the biggest red flags, not a bad thing, but a major red flag that if you sit down and talk to somebody that's like a financial planner or financial advisor and you're right out of school, they're going to start to start uh, selling you different types of life insurance. That's how they get paid. And some of them do it consciously knowing it might not be good for you, but that's how they get paid. Others of them, they think they're doing the right thing because that's just what they were trained on. That's the only part of the financial world that they know. So they think that that product is the greatest thing in the world. It might not be. So that's like, if you need those things like insurance and whatnot, fantastic. But that's one way that they do it. Um, the last way would be to actually go to a financial planner that charges like an hourly fee. Uh, there's two issues with that. Actually three issues. One, you you pay them and it's going to cost you like 300 to $600 an hour. That's typically what they charge. Two, I mentioned it earlier. Most of them have zero or very little training in debt. So when you're talking to them about that, they're not going to be able to really help you too much. Um, and then the third major, major issue is that they'll set up a plan for you. And then it's like, okay, well, what now? And they're like, well, here's your plan. Go do it. Like, well, are you going to help me? It's like, either they're going to say no, because they don't have the means to help you, like a technology. And every time you have a question, I schedule a call and they're going to charge you $300 to $600. Because um, that's the only way they make money. Or they're going to set it up for you. They're going to charge like a, a plan setup fee of $300 to $600. And then they're going to turn around and tell you, hey, it's going to be $30 to $60 a month. 
and then right. just for me to monitor this, and then we want to schedule per hour. So now you're paying months and months for them to monitor it, and then if you want to talk to them, you got to pay them even more. Okay, so that's how typically the industry works, and that's why I talk about segmentation and who do you go to because there's not really anybody for a new grad to really go to. Um, so with us, like we don't have advisors or planners, like. Like I'm licensed still, so I can give advice on some of that stuff, but some of our coaches aren't. They're coaches that help through the technology and what the technology is set to do is combine all those things together. So you can see it, you can project it, and then we can help guide you through and you know, say, hey, based on these scenarios, here's the things to think about, the pros, the cons, which one do you think better suits you? Okay, now let's go that route. What does that mean to you? And we can help you develop the plan using the technology um, and all that stuff is free. Like we will set up a call for 30 minutes to an hour, just walk you through it. You can always get a call, your uh, coach and call in whenever you have a question. It doesn't matter. And then we help you set it up. And then when we get paid, because we always get asked this, is in our new technology, when you actually implement the plan, you can track the whole thing. You can keep track of like your budget. You can keep track of what your assets are, your debt. Um, and then we charge a monthly fee for that on the technology side. And then if you sign up for that, you also have the same designated coach. All the time so whenever you call in it's the same coach and you don't have to pay any extra fee it's still the same you're just paying the monthly fee for the technology right. and the coach called coach fantastic um so that's how we're set up and how we're a little bit different and again like if you do have a more intricate question <clears throat> like hey like if you talk to one of our other coaches and it's not me and you have like a specific investment question like they might not be able to answer it but you just say hey like you know, if you go or, you know, one of the other guys that are answering this, it's like, yeah. Because, um, like, <laughs> I'll be honest with you, like, I mean, we've helped over 10,000 people. And I haven't had one question where I was like, oh, shit, how do I answer this? Right. Like, so, I mean, I've seen a lot of different scenarios and a lot of different situations, a lot of different things from investment strategies, whatever it is, like, you know, it's, I've seen them. So somebody in our company will be able to answer the question, even though if it's not the first coach you're talking to, somebody can answer in-depth questions, or if you're just trying to get the plan, you know, it's, it's there. It's really good to know kind of the difference about what kind of training a financial advisor has, because I feel like coming out of school, that's always who I heard I should talk to. You should go talk to a financial advisor. They'll be able to set all of this stuff up. And this is the question that I asked our financial advisor when they came is, but how do I pay you? Like, what's your going rate? Because first of all, I don't have a lot of money and I have an uncle who's a financial advisor and the people he talks to have a lot of money. So yeah. I was like, I'm pretty sure this is either like some sort of commission or based on how much I have. And it's not a lot. So yeah. I don't know why you would want to work with me. <laughs> yeah. So they get charged on asset management fees. Like that's one way they get charged on commission, which means they're pushing products, which is not a bad thing, but they're pushing products and that's how they're getting paid. Um, or they're charging hourly fees and maintenance monthly fees. Right. Um, that's typically how they, they will charge and make money. Um, so that, that's the hard thing. And that's why like, I talk to regulators about what we're doing with our technology. And that's why they're so excited with it because they can look at the algorithms and the scores. And they know how to audit us because if the technology is saying do this, but the person does that, it's like, why are they doing that? What did your coach say to that person? Why are they doing something that's not optimal for them? They can really right. hone in on, on different accounts instead of having to go through everything and guess. So, but to answer your question, it's hard, but it's the same thing with anything you go into, like PT. You know, some might be more knowledgeable than others. I mean, I, that's Absolutely. how I met my wife. I mean, <laughs> she was my PT after my surgery, and I, I threw a fit with the doctor. Threw a fit that 
I didn't want to go through their PT because I had that surgery when I was 25. And I've been going through their PT since I was like 12. And I'm like, I don't want a stim machine. Like, I don't want to give, like, I sit here and I'm watching what they're giving everybody else. And it's the same thing they're giving me. Like, right. And he told me, he goes, you know, I'll, I'm going to put you with somebody that's really good that only deals with athletes. And she's fantastic. Um, you know, and then she comes out and she's 26 years old. And I'm like, she can't have that much experience. I didn't know. I was supposed to be my, see my wife's mentor. But she was leading for ESPN. So they didn't want to have me start with her and then have her leave. Yep. I didn't hear that part of the story, but it was the same <laughs> thing. Like, how are you supposed to know? Like, I was told that this girl was really, really good. I didn't, I wasn't even told that I was supposed to see somebody else, not her. And it could turn out really bad, but she was good. So I married her. Um, but, you know, that's a different story. But it's the same thing in anything you do, buying a car. Like, how do you know? Mortgage brokers, how do you know? It's like, yeah. you know, just do a little research. Don't feel bad to ask you know, if the person gets an attitude with you, it's like, it's probably a red flag. Like, yeah, I expect you to get paid, but you should also tell me how I get paid and potentially yeah. what biases you have. Um, yeah, it shouldn't know. feel sketchy when you're talking to somebody, especially when you're talking to somebody about, I mean, your money and your finances. So, I mean, I feel like you've given us so much great advice so far, but what like hard resources, if you were telling students or new grads to go look at something, what would you recommend? So yeah, you can buy our course now. Because <laughs> um, we don't plug it that much, but we might start it next year. Um, it's tough because everything's so segmented. So first and foremost, anything that you go out there and look at, what you have to remind yourself is a lot of these guys, they write these things as this is my way, this is the only way. Mm-hmm. Not right. Look at it and say, what have I learned from this? How does this apply to my situation? What can I do and apply to myself? What, pers- what parts of this do I like? Then the more you read, you just start picking. Like, these are the things, these are the things, these are the things, and you, that's how you start. Um, the resources are just, just books in general. Um, you got to be careful about raw, raw books um, is what I call them. They, they talk a lot about encouragement and getting you to do something, but they don't actually give you anything of substance um, mm-hmm. to actually do. They're just selling books. Those are good. Maybe read one or two of them and move on. Um, but I would start there. I mean, one of the good ones is like Rich Dad Poor Dad by Rob, Robert Kiyosaki. I read that when I was like 12. Um, those just starts talking, he breaks it down very easily about cash flow, about like the different types of where you can actually draw money in. It's just fantastic just to have that mindset of where things are coming, different types, like, okay, here's salaried income, here's royalty income, here's dividend and interest income, like here's business income. And just what can I be drawing off of? Because it changes that mindset from basically a pure consumer mindset to how can I generate focus on income right um so that's a good place to start like then you can go into individual topics like if you're trying to go into investments for example um like the intelligent investor by Benjamin Graham is like the the bible of of investing like that's a starting point for everybody um Ben Graham those of you don't know who he is he was like the like the taught Warren Buffett. If you don't know who Warren Buffett is, Warren Buffett's like the most successful investor in the history of the world. He's like 92 years old now and he's worth billions. Like, right. Um, like I brought up the CFA charter that I have. Uh, Benjamin Graham actually founded that. Like he wasn't called a CFA back then, but he was basically was started on all of his stuff. And that's how the entire market functions now. It's all based off of his stuff. So that is like, but that's, I just wanted to give you an example of like, that's like for investments. Then if you want to go to other topics like mortgages or option trading or whatever it is, that's when you start getting more and more detailed and go to those books from there. Um, 
but yeah, like the Robert Kiyosaki book, that will help you get started. Like Dave Ramsey, you can read his books. That will help you get started just to get the mindset. Again, pick what you like and say, how does this apply to me? Um, just to get some of that general knowledge in. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, go from there. And I'm sure it's a lot like, I mean, even in PT, when you talk to somebody and they're really interested about a subject, you start to see a certain name be referenced a lot. Mm -hmm. People really look to one person and they're like the guru of whatever they're talking about. So like for us, Mary Mastery is like the guru of respiratory <laughs> PT. Everybody knows her name. They know her courses and she's the person that you'd go to if you have like a complicated case. And I'm sure it's the same thing in finances that if you're reading these articles and people are talking, they reference people that who they just know off the top of their head because they're the guru in that area of finance. Mm -hmm. yep. So look into those things. I mean, start doing a little bit of research and you'll start to, it'll sift out on its own. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> so last, I guess, because we are speaking to students and new professionals, if you were talking to somebody that was just about to go into PT school or even grad school in general, what would you tell them regarding their student loans? If you had to give them one piece of advice. Grad school, just in general? Uh, go into coding. No, <laughs> Don't do PT. Go, go into data science. It pays more. Um, no, nah, that, that would make it all about finance and money, which is not, right? You got to be able to do what you like doing. Um, number one thing is start thinking about it. Um, you know, we see a lot of people wanting to go. I, I know sometimes like when you apply for schools, you don't, I mean, you're lucky to get into one, let alone multiple ones. Right. Um, but try to get into the ones that are a little bit cheaper, unless you have an exact need for networking or whatnot, like you need it for what you want to do. Um, I mean, we don't even see the network effect. And this is why we say graduate students versus like PPs are a little bit different. Like graduate students, we see a massive, massive network effect in terms of income. Like if you went to Harvard versus San Jose State, you're gonna make a lot more money. PT is not that different. Um, right. In terms of like a nine to five job. Now in terms of other doors that might be open, maybe, but it's not drastically different. So that's why it's like, you know, look at what you really want to do. Start thinking about it. Like shadow the different professions, those are the different areas and the different settings and kind of have an idea of what you might want to go and do before because that's going to dictate what your income is afterwards. And that says, okay, well, here's my debt. And you can start seeing what you're going to, have to do right then and there before you even graduate or before you start. Just say, okay, well, what other skills would I have time? Should I be building? Um, start talking to students and PTs. I mean, there's, there's stuff all over Facebook in different groups of, you know, pre-PT stuff. You can start training on and learning and all that type of stuff. Um, so really when it comes to it, start thinking about it. Um, just don't blindly go into it, get a check, start getting a bunch of debt and you graduate. You're like, oh shit, like, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> yeah, where do I go now? Um, yeah, right. So start thinking about it early um, and often. Um, and if you do get a data science degree instead, let us know because we're always hiring data scientists. Not hiring data. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, just start thinking about it because there's always a way to pay it off. You just got to know that way. And the sooner you, you start understanding that, you can plan early and then set yourself up in a good situation in the long run. For sure. I should have talked to you like five years ago, <laughs> but I think it's so true. Um, people enjoy sharing their experience because one, people like talking about themselves. So we all have to admit that. Mm -hmm. And two, they like the feeling of helping others. So there's always time to reach out to people. They'll get back to you, even if they might not have the time in the immediate here and now. Um, for all of our students out there, schools are happy to connect you with 
um, their current students so that you can have a realistic idea of what it's like at that school and what the actual cost is and if they feel like they can have a job or if they have time to do some sort of side gig. So I think that that's awesome advice. Is there anything that you feel like we didn't touch on that you really want us to know? No, just like I said, understand, plan, implement, keep it simple. That's it, really. I mean, start from there. Um, and then, yeah, you'll be good to go. That's and awesome. Keep it simple. Don't dig too deep into anything. <laughs> Well, I really appreciate you joining us today. I learned a lot, even though I felt like I had a pretty good grasp on some of this stuff after the first time we talked. So I'm sure our listeners learned a lot. Um, we'll be sure to include any of the resources that you mentioned throughout this conversation in our show notes. So they can click on it. They can go check out your site. They can look at some of the books and some of the authors that you recommended. Um, so yeah, thank you for everything. And by the way, guys, let's do it like five times. We used to, when I was playing sports in college, we used to have a, a coach with uh, that would, an academic coach. And he used to say it all the time. The first time you hear or see something, you retain about 20% of it. So I know I went through a lot of different things on this. So you got to listen to me like five times and you might retain about 60% of it. So <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, go through it. Other books that you might read, you know, read it more than once because you're going to constantly pick up more things out of it. And yeah, go from there. If you guys need help, you know, let us know. You guys, I can't get over how much I learn every time I talk to Joseph. I hope you got as much about out of this episode as I did. So take his advice and listen to these episodes a couple of times to make sure that you got everything out of them that you possibly can. As always, we appreciate any reviews, follows, or shares if you gain something from our chat. Until next time.